0: When I was 12 years old, I knew I was going to go to the Olympics. I knew I was going to go to the Olympics. But just before my first Olympics, I wasn't sure if I was ever going to make it.
1: Welcome to the Major League Eventing Podcast, the show for eventing fans by eventing
2: fans. Hey, Karen, it's that time again. We'd we like to thank our sponsor, Main & Tail. Love them. Love, love, love Main & Tail. Today, we are highlighting the Main & Tail Shine On product. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. Great stuff. Why don't you tell us all about Shine On? Sure. The Shine On
1: is an exclusive formula designed to provide instant high-gloss shine that lasts Shine On is a pH-balanced formula that repels dust and provides long-lasting prevention of coat stains. Nice. Yes. Saves grooming time, can be used dry or wet, and it has a gentle pH-balanced formula with no unpleasant odor.
2: That's what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah, good, it smells good.
2: <laughs> so this stuff's got a nice kind of slick conditioner to it. hmm What they want to make sure is it's so good, don't want to put it anywhere your saddle's going to sit because it might just, might, slip, might just slide, slide off, slide right on off. So. <laughs> <laughs> but the stuff's so good. If you use it every day, the grass stains and those types of things mm-hmm. are much, much easier to get off because yep. they're not getting embedded in that dry old hair. It kind of got a little barrier there. so Helps keep the dust off too. Heck yeah. This is some good, good stuff, Karen. So thank you, Man and Tail. Thank you for Shine On. is an awesome product. And we are so thankful that you guys sponsor us. Thank you. And Karen, did you know we have a mailing list now. I do. So for all this time we've had the website, people have been subscribing to our mailing list and we really haven't been doing anything, but now we're sending out emails. Yes, we are. So these aren't your spammy emails. All we're doing is we're sending out um, just emails with the latest show, a little bit of details so you get the heads up of what's coming out. So you can you can share a link with a friend, you know what's going on. Uh, we like to highlight our sponsors. If there's any big sponsored deals coming up, Karen, sharing things like that yep so link's gonna be in the show notes and we sure would appreciate it if you signed up and if you had friends that are interested sign them up too yeah throw their email in there (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know if that's legal but do it I'm Rob
1: and I'm Karen and Rob's super special guest today Karen
2: I'm so I got chills I'm so excited (laughs) for this
1: guest Uh, not only is she a five-time Olympian but also an Olympic medalist a WEG medalist, and Pan Am medalist.
2: Pan Gold medalist, Karen. Pa-
1: yes. Oh, yeah. And w- absolutely one of my favorite writers of all time. Absolutely. I and she that. does have a great first name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the show, Karen hey. O'Connor. Karen, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm
0: really, really looking forward to to spending this time with you. Man,
1: uh, Karen.
2: So excited. Is, you know, it's funny, Karen. I know we, it sounds like we're buttering you up, but it's, it is very true that, karen and i have been following you and, and you and david as a team especially but you guys both together and and i know my wife you've have been a huge inspiration on her oh, she's yeah. not she's not as willing to kind of say <laughs> that stuff but i know for a fact that you have been probably karen's number one biggest role model in oh, yeah venting. oh yeah and um
0: wow so. well i'm i'm <laughs> I'm flattered. But I think one of your most difficult challenges in the next hour is going to be when you say,
2: Karen, who are you talking right. to? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. so if, if we ever get like silent over here, just because Karen's got stars in her eyes. And, but uh, yeah, but now we really, really appreciate this time. Hey, we always like to know we know it's uh, obviously we're all hunkered down right now. Quarantine style. Are you uh, in Ocala, Virginia? Where, where are you hunkering down at? We have
0: continued to maintain our bases down in Ocala, uh, and our our uh, farm has been. We've isolated our off, ourselves off from the farm, Mrs. Mars Farm. Um, you know, it's 150 acres with multiple riders, um, with Hannah and Lauren and Kimmy and myself and David, and then all of our programs. And so, it was important for all of us to get together and come up with a with a model for how to deal with the pandemic and So we basically um, kind of put ourselves uh, in isolation, -isolation, self-isolation, with the exception of the essentials. And my mom lives here in Ocala. So I bring her groceries and, um, you know, her medications or whatever. She's 88 years old, so she's at very, very high risk. And so she's been in quarantine for about six weeks now. I started it very early with her. um, And luckily, my cousin and her husband are down for the winter so i i got them to move in with my mom about six weeks ago and and they're doing great but um yeah so we're, we're we don't see a lot of people right now yeah, yeah. So wow it's a weird time for everybody it sure it, is. it's just
2: it is it's it's life has changed so much like it, it's just incredible how fast this has gone and the world flipped over so
0: i, I think it's changed forever i i think some of the familiarity that we Uh, we're privileged to have before is is going to be have a layer of guard to it so Mm -hmm. um you know i just don't know how it's going to go forward um you know how what we're all going to do in the future um but for sure it is a it's a global effort and it's that's the cool part is that the world has come together i think that's really important really cool
2: absolutely and the silver lining is we all have to wear masks now. And my baby blue eyes look so they pop when I'm wearing a goodness. face mask. So <laughs> I, I can only imagine. <laughs> the rest of me is hideous, but my eyes are beautiful.
0: So. I'm, I'm seeing you right now, Bob. <laughs>
2: uh,
1: oh, goodness. Yeah. So, Karen, one thing we love to do is we love to hear your origin story. So can you take us back and tell us how you got your start in riding and then into eventing?
0: Sure. I, uh, I'm a New Englander. I grew up in Massachusetts. My mother was born in Massachusetts, um, and my dad came to from Minnesota. He came to Boston University to go to college, and that's where they met. Uh, and so we, we came up as a young family. My mother's, my history of my uh, mother's family has a lot of horses in it, uh so my mom had a love for horses, my grandmother had a love for horses and and of course then I did. Um right from the beginning it it became horses, but it was always just animals. I mean, you don't have a horse when you're born, or at least not everybody does. Um and so first it was dogs and cats and then we raised other animals around our farm, little farm that um, you know, had gone astray. We Raised squirrels. We raised a raccoon. We raised um, a lot, a lot of different animals. And so, my cousins also lived nearby, and they had horses, Western horses. So I would go and ride with them, maybe once a week or once every ten days, or whenever you know, Dad could um, break away to take us there and jump on their horses. And and that was sort of the start. There was a time when I would tug on Mom and Dad's arm um, and say, I, I want a I horse, I want a horse, I want a horse so bad. And so they decided, I was born in February, I'm an Aquarian, so they gave me my first horse when I was 11 years old. And that is a really big story because um, we went to the family that knew more about horses than anybody else in town. Uh, they had a British accent and they had this horse named Midnight, who is about... I think as I look back on it, I think when I was eleven, he he was probably eighteen hands. But I think as I look back on it, he's probably sixteen hands, <laughs> and but he's also sixteen hands wide, and uh, he was a quarter horse Morgan cross and big heavy thing. And so we bought the horse. My my dad bought the horse for me for my eleventh birthday. He was six hundred dollars, and with that came the saddle and the bridle. Now the saddle was an old cavalry saddle McClellan mm. and that's that was pretty cool and the bridle was a long shank Pelham like like as if for a um, a gated horse but the <laughs> Pelham rein had been broken at some point so that was actually now clothesline um, string <laughs> so and it was it was the middle of February so a lot of snow back then uh, not so much now but a lot of snow back in New England in in the um, 60s and uh, my dad decided he would ride Midnight from their house, one side of town, to our house, which is the other side of town. It was just probably about five miles or so. And halfway on this journey was the center of town. My dad had never ridden a horse before, never. <laughs> so he hops on Midnight, and off they go. And he gets halfway home, and he's in the center of town. So it's a Saturday morning, so he decides he's going to stop and pick up the mail. So he gets off the horse, he ties the horse to the flagpole and goes in and gets the mail and comes back out and gets back on the horse and off he goes again. And that was pretty, when he told me that, I was like, that, that's really incredibly brave or, or something. <laughs> <laughs> so they get, the, dad gets to the house. Everybody's excited. The, the British family had come also to the, to the house to make sure everything was going all right. They called me down from my bedroom. Uh, and opened up the back door, and they dad was off the horse at this time, and passed the reins to me. And said, "Karen, it's your birthday present. Congratulations." His name's Midnight. And I was like so excited. They put me up on the horse, and they said, "Okay, well, why don't you just go give him a ride, and we're we'll, we're gonna have a cup of coffee, and we'll be out to check you in a minute." <laughs> and I was like, "There's nowhere to go. I mean, we have a we have a 30 acre farm property, but there's three feet of snow, so there's the driveway. Go up and down the driveway, and that was fine. But then Midnight." Saw some green grass, which was over by the septic that obviously had a crack in it or something. Oh, so there, was, no. so, so there is green grass there. So he walks over there through the snow. I have no control. This is a big horse, and I have no control. And I am probably four foot six and you know seventy pounds or sixty pounds or something. So, so the horse puts his head down. Poor midnight. He puts his head down. He starts to eat grass, and that's it. Game over. I can't get his head up. <laughs> they come out I mean it's ridiculous they come out you know 20 minutes later and there I am over in that area and thank God they came over and picked his head up and you know we took him up to what was our stable um, which was, you know a very old barn and uh, that's where it all started Um, about a year later uh, my my mom really enjoyed the horses and we had a local riding instructor that said Karen needs to get herself a different horse. My suggestion is a Connemara pony. And so off we went to go find a Connemara pony and we went to Hideaway Farm in Geneseo, New York, and they recommended that we go see this five-year-old that was down in Glastonbury, Connecticut. And his name um, was Aaron Shamrock, and the Hideaway Farm had bred this horse. And as luck would have it, Aaron Shamrock and I grew up together from the time he was five and I was 12 until I was twenty one and I was competing him at the four star level. Oh, wow. Um and along the way I did Pony Club all the way up through my A. Um and I did Young Riders multiple, you know, times. And then when he got to about his limit, which is great. I mean it was fantastic. I competed in him at Fair Hill, which was um not Fair uh, yeah, so not Fairhill, what was it called? Um, is it Chapel Hill, Blue Ridge Farm. And in, in, in Boyce, Virginia, and he finished fifth there out of all the Olympic courses, Tad Coffin and all the guys. Um and and that was unbelievably fantastic. I went on to I, I kept him he stayed in our ownership his entire life, um, but I leased him to three other people that were up and coming over the next sort of ten years and he did three more young rider championships and multiple wins at multiple things. It was incredible. Gray Hanumar thoroughbred with a touch of Arabian in him and he was 15 one hands and he was just a pocket rocket. So I think that that experience set me on a path that, um, to become a, um, a courageous cross country rider, because I think if you have one that really gets it in the beginning and really helps you to understand the forward riding that, that helps you through your entire life. Um, so he was, he was really super cool. Wow. Um, in, in addition to that, during that time, my mom and dad became very interested, and they supported and followed me to all the competitions. Uh, my, my father was in the foam rubber business, and during that time, we had talked about a design of a lot of different things, including foam saddle pads, which there wasn't a foam piece of equipment, horse equipment, to be found. Uh, also we designed a shipping boot that became a Lendy shipping boot and it's still, and I designed the pattern for this. I don't know. I was probably 16 or 17, uh, where it would come up over the knee and come up over the hock to, for more protection. And that's still the design that people use today. Wow. Um, and that was because my dad knew everything about foam, closed cell foam, open cell foam, breathable, uh, you know, all kinds mm-hmm. of different foams. Um, we would go to, um, the conventions for foam and uh, learn a lot about, you know, just the whole idea of how that type of material could be so useful in the horse industry. So that was kind of a great learning curve for me with my, my dad. My mom has a great story because her grandfather was very much into horses, but he was actually in the sand and gravel business. But back at that time, which is early 1900s, they had a big sand and gravel business outside of Boston, and it was they had a team of something like 400 horses, uh, and and teams of 40, 50, 60 horses with wagons would bring the sand and gravel into Boston and contributed to building some of the first roads in Boston, which is pretty cool. So there's a whole history of uh, of interest in horses and horse handling and horse horsemanship that goes pretty far back. In in my family, which I didn't really know until not not very long ago, you know that they it, it just dawned on us. She said, "Did you know your great grandfather had had stables full of horses that were brought heavy wagons of sand and gravel into Boston?" Yeah. So that was pretty cool as well. Um, and also during that time, I had wonderful wonderful instruction. I my mom had instantly got an interest in dressage. And at that time in New England, they were just starting up a an organization that is still today very active called New England Dressage Association. And with her association there, I was privy to all of the clinics that were held by New England Dressage. And I had amazing instructors, including Nuno Oliveira and oh, Hans Christensen and um, uh, their, uh, Robert Hall and um, just really interesting people. And when I was about fourteen years old, Robert Hall had set up a business in Peppo, Massachusetts at Chickadee farm, and they had a young he was he was young but he was a different generation than I was he's probably eighteen or nineteen I was fourteen so that's a big age difference yeah. uh, of a guy that came over from England to be his his assistant rider teacher. His name was William Micklem. and william and William and I became best friends and we've been best friends ever since then. Uh, and he was my, my teacher uh, for about three, four, five years in pepper. He took me to my first three event, uh, a remarkable horseman back then. And his, his, his whole um, history and his life and um, his progression through the horse world is, uh, it's, it's so famous. I mean, he's such a, um household world and in industry between all of the horses that he found for David and I and other people in the world, as well as his development of the Nicklin bridle, which is now sold by Horseware. Um so that was just a crazy bonus that I was able to enjoy. So there's there's uh hundreds of stories like that, but you know, those are the people that really were important in my life at the time. And then you look know, fast forward a little bit when I was still riding shamrock and I was probably 18 years old and uh, it was in the mid-70s and they had selection trials uh, for the Olympic Games but they were open and they were only really the first one was only at the preliminary to intermediate level and I went into that selection trial but I I had never made an application to go to the Olympics um, because I wasn't old enough and, and oh. so I ended up winning that selection trial but it was it was funny. It was not because I was trying to be an Olympian. I was just competing, and they, the sport was small at that time. So there's only enough people for the one division. And then Tad Coffin became my coach, um, and he coached me in 1975, and then through his Olympic games in 1976. And then at the end of '76, I really was feeling the need to want to, you know, go somewhere else other than New England, and that's. In March 1st of 1977, that's when I ended up at the door of Jimmy Wofford uh, and continued on to be a student at Jimmy's for over 10 years and he became my mentor. Prior to that, an interesting story is I went, I applied to be a resident rider for Jack Lagoff. And what he did was he went to three, the East Coast, the Central US, and the West Coast, and had 10 people. 10 young people in a clinic or in a, you know, some sort of a trial. Um, and then from that, he selected four people to come be the resident riders for him. When I went to Jimmy's, I was uh, really lucky to be surrounded by other wonderful riders. Eric DeGrazio was a working student. Mm-hmm. Um, B. Perkins, now Grazi was a working mm-hmm. student. Tom Glasscock, he was one of the top young runners of the time. Um, Myself, Gail DeMonte, who is now an FBI judge, Gail Fox, and her brother was there also. And and these were like the, the top kids, right? In the country. And as it turned out, uh, when Jack made his final selection, even though I had won a lot on Shamrock, a lot more than all the others, he didn't select me. And it was devastating. I mean, not just a little, it was devastating. Um, because Derek got selected, Derek and I had been, uh, dating for a couple of years. So he was off to new England, B, my best friend, she was off to new England. Um, Tom was off to new England. And, um, and it was just, it was very, very, very hard on me because I was like, what have I done wrong? Well, as you look back on it, I didn't do anything wrong, but I had zero experience on another horse. And as I look, as I also look back on it, and we say that you know, is it the horse that's the athlete, or is it the rider that's the athlete? And I now realize that in during the training of the horse, it, it's it's got to be eighty percent the the rider and twenty percent the horse because you have to regiment the training. Mm-hmm. And then on the day that you want to perform your, at your best and win, it it should be eighty percent the horse and twenty percent the rider because they're they are so locked into um, how how they have been brought to their potential through the training program. And what I realized with Shamrock, it was 90% Shamrock and 10% karen <laughs> and, <laughs> and I know Jack realized that. My parents, of course, they, you know, they backed me up and they're like, oh, I can't believe it. And I said, oh, I can't believe it. And then you look back on it and you're like, well, I can really believe it because I just used to run that pony down like there was a grass fire in front of him. And um, and never take a pull and just keep right on kicking and he would back up and and hold his balance and hold his form and just he was just set sail and and then I'll never forget Jack Lagoff said to me one time he says Karen Karen you make my hair fall out and I'm like <laughs> what 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 do you mean Jack he says you go so fast you go so fast with no plan you go so fast and I said but Jack I'm winning and he goes. Oh, it's not. It's about the winning. It's not about the winning. <laughs> so it was. I had. A, I had a lot of really cool uh, things in my the younger part of my life that really set a path for me to um, to want to see if I wanted to
2: go there.
1: Wow! Wow! That, that is, is awesome. That is the coolest
2: <laughs> story ever. It is it the really names is. in Karen's history. Yeah. Here's a couple of takeaways. Number one. We were almost talking to Karen Grazia here.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, David, uh, Derek and I, Derek and I are still great friends, and David and Derek are straight great friends, and V and Derek and Karen and David are all great friends. <laughs> it, it was it was absolutely the right the right thing, um, but um, yeah. So there you have it. <laughs> That's funny.
2: Wow, such a cool story. So many legends that you've. It just you know, your your, your whole upbringing—it's kind of amazing to think that, um, you know, all uh, it's it's neat how how time just works it out where you just meet the right people and and you you were coming up in an era where, I mean, at the time they're just your 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 peers and friends and now now, now you look back and you think of all the accomplishments that you and all of your friends. I think
0: had. you know one of the one of the biggest things about that whole generation is that the, the heroes that we looked up to uh, at that time were, of course, Jimmy, Tad Coffin, of course, Jack LaGoff as the, as the coach, and uh, Mike Plum, Bruce Davidson. They were the coaches, Don Sechi, uh, They were all the coaches of the next generation, all fabulous riders and fabulous teachers, and they, they brought the next generation up those people single handedly produced the next generation and uh and did a really amazing job at it. Um it was as important for their students to reach the top as it was for them to reach the top. Yeah. Absolutely um,
2: I, I think that Karen, could you speak about like the, the so the Jack Legoff and when he turns you away, I think that's just so important for, for young listeners to and and everyone that's listening, but especially the young people that are, you know, because we all we obviously you know as well as anybody or better than anybody how competitive our young riders are right now and and how driven they are and you know everyone's dealing with some failure at some point in time and how did that what did you do after you did that like how did you recover how did you did you put your head down and say I'm going to prove them wrong or how did that affect you and how did it change your 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 career forward,
0: right? Well, it it was it was hard to hear, but but in you know Jack was a very also a very caring person to all all of the the thirty people that he worked with um, to sit down with each person and make sure they understood why. And he spent a lot of time because he loved to talk why he was going with a certain group rather than say myself. And when he sat down with me, he said you are highly competitive and you need to stay in the sport but you must go ride other horses you must go get experience on other horses so that you can understand the different temperaments of horses and how your riding style right now is only suitable to the one horse and you have to open your mind and open you know all your your learning so that you can ride a wider range of horses. And that resonated with me for sure. Um, and I I needed to go do that. And it took me 10 years after I stopped riding Shamrock. It took me literally 10 years before um, I could feel like I could accomplish exactly what he had said, that I could actually um, ride a, a wide, wider range of horses. Because, boy, I failed for... Many years I failed after Shamrock, I failed for a long time. It was tough on me, um, but it's what I wanted to do. It's what I'd always wanted to do. I I say, I've said it a few times before, is that when I was 12 years old, I knew I was going to go to the Olympics. I knew I was going to go to the Olympics. But just before my first Olympics, I wasn't sure if I was ever going to make it. Wow. You know, and so as you get, you can have a goal, you can have a dream, but as you get closer to that goal, you realize the vulnerability of of, um, of the goal itself and how it can fall apart. Some of it maybe was in your control. Some of it can't, is not in your control at all. But you have to carry on and you have to keep on with whatever that goal is. And it's a little bit like the coronavirus. I mean, we've had a lot of things taken away from us recently, but you have to keep going and you have to keep believing that there is, there is a light at the end of the tunnel and there is a flattening of the curve. And... And I find a big parallel in a person's life is like the coronavirus and that it, it, you are going to meet opposition and some of it's going to be devastating, but it is a life and a life is from birth to death. And you have to the most of it because you don't get a second chance.
2: So. Absolutely, man. Gosh, we're, Karen's bringing a Karen. Oh my goodness.
0: <laughs> and, and as David says, He's a competition about saying good morning. So, you know, he, he says you are not, yeah, Karen. Me it is he thinks I'm pretty competitive, and I I never really thought of it that way. But um, I guess you know, if you want to win something, you have to you have to want to win it so bad that you find the way to learn and to to get your technique and to be able to talk to a horse properly. Uh, without force and be able to accomplish what you want. Um, and my mom was pretty strong about that. She, when we went as a family, as a family into horses, because I have two brothers. My mother said, "We will back you one hundred percent with this idea of competing horses." Like, I want a hundred and ten percent out of you, and you must try. You know to give it everything you have otherwise what's the point because this is a big family sacrifice and we need to know that you are really passionate about this and if you're not passionate it that's fine that's okay but we need to know and we need to to do it through actions not just words so my mom was, is a very strong personality she's loved by so many people in the sport um and she's
2: my best friend you know Excellent. um that's wonderful. Oh. That is wonderful. You know, we're, we're in a similar position. We mm-hmm. have our youngest son, he's pursuing the professional eventing life. And, you know, we're kind of in the same way. It's like, Hey, we have a lot of sacrifices and you know, if this is what you want to do, you got it. You got to give it a hundred percent or 110%. And so, sure. which, which, which and which that, and that
0: goes, and that goes also down, you know, horses are a funny sport because, um, whether you're a guy or a girl, it, it's the same, you know, in the, those format over the years like when you're in high school and um even a little earlier, you know, you get really bullied about being in the horses. Mm-hmm. And you I think um I think boys obviously get bullied but, but girls get bullied too and if you're a good athlete, I was terribly bullied at during school uh about when are you gonna stop playing with your horses and come do a real sport and um and then, you know, when you know you can do other sports, that's that's also where you you find yourself, you and you you find the strength within yourself to say, "That's fine, you guys, but yeah, ha ha, you know, but I'm gonna. I this is what I'm. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to do, and I want to go to the Olympics someday, and I want to I want to ride at the top sport. And you know, a lot of times you have to stay strong. Those are lessons in life, aren't they? You know, um, is bullying a bad thing? Of course, it's a bad thing, but There's, as you say, Rob, there's a silver lining to everything. It it does make you ask the question, do I want this that bad? And I can't, I've said it many times in the last month, I cannot imagine quarantining without animals. I cannot imagine it. It would be uh, just a very depressing thing for me to be able to not touch an animal. And, uh, you know, to communicate with animals and, and, you know, all the silly, stupid little things that we're doing with animals while we're quarantined. you know, it's, it's, they're just our pals or our family. And I always feel that about all of the horses that I've ridden in my life.
2: Absolutely. I agree. Absolutely. I agree 100%. <laughs> I'd much rather deal with animals than people any day. <laughs> any day. <laughs> I, think, I think almost any horse person would say that. Zach LeGoff said many things, but one of his his uh, one
0: liners was, "The more I know, the more I know horses, the less I like people." <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's a good one, that's for sure. So now, did you were you able to go back to like Jimmy Walford and say, "Jimmy, I need to ride more horses," and was he able to help you with that, or how did you get that experience on different horses?
0: I bought a horse um, from Paul Valliere. He was in uh, at the time living in Smithfield, North Smithfield, Rhode Island not too far from us, and I went down there. He was a, um, obviously a 100-jumper guy, and I bought a horse uh, that was a thoroughbred, and he was a good cross-country horse, uh, a little bit hot, and I really struggled with that because Shamrock was not that kind of hot. He was, You know, he's half Connemara. So when I got a thoroughbred, you know how parents are always like, well, they can grow up together, you know? like green and green makes black and blue, but, um, <laughs> but, but, uh, so his name was flirting pool. And, uh, I rode him up to the third sort of preliminary level. And then that was that. And I went to Jimmy's with those two horses. Um, and it wasn't too long before Jimmy sat down with my mom and dad and said, she needs, she needs a horse. And, and they were like, okay, what does, what does that take? And, and then after that, conversation, Dad pulled Jimmy aside and said, Jimmy, I I really want her to, you know, okay, so she can ride and everything and but I I want her to get married. I want her to, you know, go have a a a normal life and all this stuff. (laughs) And Jimmy's comment was, My dad's name is Philip. He says, Phil. Do you know the percentage rate of marriage and divorce in the United States? It's two to one. So He was he was trying to make light of a situation that was making dad understand that there is nothing that's going to take her away from the horses. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can pull her out of this and you can put her into school and you can get her married and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, she's still going to do horses. So let's get her a good horse where she can, you know, see if she can find the way to the top, which is what she wants. Um, so my first trip abroad was to Ireland and uh, I went with Jimmy and we saw a few horses and we saw one in England as well. Uh, we saw a horse called Gamble who had just been around badminton and he's a big gray horse. I rode him. I got run off with him, but he, Jimmy really thought that he was still a, you know, a top class horse, even though I couldn't ride one side of him. But luckily the owner said, no, the horse is not for sale to her. She doesn't ride it well enough. Thank God. Wow. So, yeah. So then off to Ireland, we went and I found the horse that I ended up with called March Brown. March Brown had been produced by Jerry Sinnott. He went to Buccalo the in the autumn, and we were looking at him in the winter. And this was sort of uh, early 78. Uh, and he had already been chosen for the um, for the world championships in Kentucky in 1978. So I was really lucky that I had the support of my mom and dad, but also my grandmother. And what I didn't realize because they, you know, back then there were just a lot of things that were never spoken about. My mom and dad and my grandmother, uh, were able to to secure the horse financially. What I didn't realize is my mother and father mortgaged the house to buy this horse. Oh, wow. And, mm-hmm, and I didn't, they didn't really tell me that for about 20 years or so. And, <laughs> That was such a huge thing for me. March Brown was my golden, my Willy Wonka golden ticket to the top level. And in 1979, I went to badminton with March Brown and I finished 10th. And uh, it was a really hard course. It was very muddy. There were only about, there were probably 45 to 50 in it and only about 20 finished. Uh, and I was presented, you know, if you're in the top 12 of badminton, you get presented a little horse, uh, you know, beautiful silver replica of the trophy. And uh, so I was presented that by the queen. Wow. And wow. and yeah, it was pretty cool. And the queen started conversation with me. Um, you know, everybody's kind of moving her along. but She's like, no, I, I want to talk to this American girl. And he, she said, I really enjoyed watching you cross country you ride great and I know this horse very well because, you know, of course the Queen has lovely stable of horses and she says, I know this horse's sire very well. It's stranger. I have some strangers also in my stable and they are also very lovely and it was just great to see uh, that you're continuing on with this horse after Jerry Sinner rode it. So she's a remarkable woman. I mean, just a remarkable, remarkable woman and um, and for her to take the time out talk to me, it was life changing for me.
2: Karen. Um, she talked to Karen, yeah. the queen, Karen. We're one my person wife. away from the queen we're talking <laughs> you got to. It. Right <laughs> yeah, I get it, it I've got
0: a lot of stories like of the that wow. that type of stuff. But that was that was a life changing moment for me. Uh, which my dad was a great photographer. He's a photographer in the army and um, uh, so he he took some great pictures of that which is really cool. Um, yeah, so, uh, I, I was at Jimmy's from 77 until I don't even know when and, um, multiple students and then I ended up renting the stable from him. And then when I broke away, uh, and Hardaway and I, <clears throat> who is now and Taylor who lives in England, uh, she and I rented a stable in Middleburg together, uh, as young professionals put our shingle out there and and started taking in students and horses to sale and all that. And that's how we started our business, uh, because sort of at the same time was uh, the recession uh, of the early 80s, mm. and my dad was hit really hard during that time. So all of a sudden, in one day, I go from having five horses at Jimmy's that are on full board, and my dad's all on board saying, okay, you're on your own. <laughs> well, do it. And he, he and he wasn't kidding. He was not kidding, and so that was uh, a real shock to me. Um, uh, but there you have it. I mean, it's, that was awesome. It was just the best thing ever for me is to have have a, uh, a sort of ending to that to that support. Even though emotional and um, support was still 100000 percent. 100, so. Right.
2: Now, can we fast right. forward? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: No, you go. I'm
2: so, so, can we just fast can forward? On. Well, I love it. I, mean, yeah, I, can, no. I, can, I can listen to these stories. Uh, we got. I got 22 hours of recording time, but I can just let this thing run. Uh,
0: I, know, I know you don't have time for that. I'm looking at my camera. This like when they had the double feature movies and you had an intermission between them, right? I
2: say, let's, let's rock and roll with it. If you got time, I'm in. But the, I, I could do this all day. Uh, the. But fast forward to you, you, I wanted to make sure we covered this because when we talked to David, he mentioned the, the time abroad in, in England that you guys were based. But I wanted to make sure that with talking to you that we covered that a little bit more, a little bit more. Could you talk about, like, if we fast forward to why you went to Great Britain and, and that experience and, and what, what, what came away from that?
0: My first Olympic Games were in 1988 in Seoul, Korea. And that's where I met Mark Phillips. And because he was on the British team and then I saw him, you know, here, there, whatever. And, and, um, and Mike Page then was the chef to keep for, uh, the venting team. And then after Mike Page was Lars Setterholm. And it was during Lars's tenure that David got to know Lars. Uh, and I had carried on, um, you know, just seeing Mark at competitions because there's a whole time period before that was 1991 when I moved to England. There's a whole time period there, starting in 1984, right after the Los Angeles Olympics. Jimmy had a wonderful horse named Castlewellan. Castlewellan ended up being the reserve horse because he popped a abscess the week before, so he wasn't able to compete. And Jimmy was devastated because Jimmy's father had been in the Olympic Games since um, was in the in the 30s that were in Los Angeles, so he wanted to be the son that repeated the same Olympics in the same city, so he was devastated, he called me up about a week after the Olympic Games were over and he said, how would you like a nice advance horse, and I said, "Everybody, Jimmy, everybody wants a nice <laughs> advance horse, and he goes, and he says, yeah, I know, how would you like one named Casuala, and I just about fainted on the phone, I was up in Vermont with students competing at GMHA, so Anyway, uh, I said, Jimmy, of course, what, what, why aren't you right? He says, I I think it's time for me to hang my spurs up at the highest level. Below. So he said, but, um, but know that the Thompson's Dick and Vita Thompson, who I had met many times because uh, they had, you know, they had other horses with Jimmy and, and they would like to have you be their next rider. And I said, Oh my God. Oh my gosh. That's just, I I didn't, that was just an incredible, uh, moment. And that relationship, which started in 1984, uh, carried on until, you know, Dick, I think Dick died in, uh, 2000, 2000, whatever it was, 2012, 2013, 2014. Yeah. About 2014. So it, it was a very long, lovely, lovely relationship with the Thompsons, multiple horses, uh, and and the whole idea of ownership of top level horses was, was huge then, and it's still huge today. I my the horse I did the first Olympic games on, the Optimus, was owned by Bert and Diana Firestone, and that is because I was teaching Matt Firestone at the time. It was a very difficult horse for Matt, and. I started riding the horse because it was so difficult, and then uh, Bert said, "Would you? Do you think you can sell him?" I said, "I don't know. He's really strong cross country." Well, can you ride him? I said, "I don't know. He's really strong <laughs> cross country." And so he, and so he said, "Well, you keep riding him until if you don't want to ride him anymore, then that's fine. Um, we'll do something else with him." Boom! That was that was a huge, huge experience, uh, and we're we still have such closeness with the two families. And and then there was the Thompson and then there was Mrs. Mars. And uh, at one given time, I had all three all three sets of owners. And I it was a remarkable time. And that is what set up the foundation for me to be able to move to England. We couldn't go there ourselves. We neither David nor I had the financial ability to just like go buy our own horses and go to England. It wasn't like that at all. We um, we had those owners. David had his own owners. And we were starting to be quite successful in the United States. But still, there was a whole area there. I'd already won Rolex. I'd already won Chesterland. I'd already won, um, you know, uh, this, I don't know. I'd been around badminton. I'd been to the World Equestrian Games. I'd been to the alternate equestrian games in Poland. You know, I'd been on a bunch of team trips, but I had never been thrown into the arena with all the top riders in the world at every level. And so when I moved to England, I took a couple of horses. David took a couple of horses. David was given an incredible um, uh, opportunity through Lars Setterholm, and I was given an incredible opportunity through Mark Phillips. The two facilities were about an hour apart. One was in in um, Mintonhampton in Gloucestershire the other one was in Oxford and that was about an hour's fast fast drive (laughs) an hour drive between the two and so you know we we did not live together during that time but we certainly the the we knew the roads very well um and so David went and studied under Lars I went and studied under Mark during that time um Lars was coach, and then he stepped down, and then that's when I stepped forward to the Active Riders Committee, and I said, "You know, you guys, you you really ought to think about Mark Phillips as a potential coach for the U.S. team." And as it turned out, he became a, a wonderful coach, a great coach over multiple quadrennials uh, for the for the U.S. Um, and it, it's funny, you make your life wherever you you hang your hat, and I went over there with just a couple of horses uh into Mark's stable and when I came back I had 12 horses and and the same with David he had multiple horses and some new owners and some you know we had it was a wonderful time for a large group of people that everybody from family to owners to grooms to friends to um trainers to teachers to blacksmiths and vets and it was a huge team um and not necessarily just one team because we weren't married yet you know i had the i had the karen lendy team and david had the david o'connor team and and when we were in england and we decided to get married that became a big challenge was to put those two teams together and and that's why we called it the o'connor eventing team And it was one of the first names that was like that, you know, the O'Connor eventing team. And now there's lots of um, riders eventing teams. um, But that was the concept then. And to be able to go every single weekend and sometimes two and three times a week, as you do in England, to go to competitions and compete against the top riders of that time uh, from the beginner novice level all the way up to badminton's and world's and Olympic games and burley's. Um, that was a remarkable experience, remarkable experience. And um, it, it shaped our, our lives because we now became, we were completely familiar with all of those riders and not just in a, yes, a competitor's party kind of thing, but we rode around each other all the time and used each other's gallops. And, and, and we were pals. There was no one trying to knock me off of, Uh, my team position because we were the only Americans there and there were 15, 16, 26, whatever, how many of different countries. but they were not, they were not trying to, um, you know, we all got along so well because we competed fiercely against each other, but we really cared, all cared about each other. And, uh, we all grew up together. It was really a pretty wonderful, uh, experience.
2: Wow. Karen, is this all? This, Karen, is, this is this is awesome. This is amazing. <laughs> I'm. Uh, this is this is the best interview of all time. I think so. So, oh, we got to you know because we can we can talk to Karen all day, Karen, mm-hmm. but we got to move this on. Yeah. The so can we talk about like can we just move up just a little bit? You have so many legendary horses um, that. I mean obviously we can talk and talk about those but the 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 one that probably everyone's what's what's circulating around right now is the, the Teddy O'Connor yeah. Kentucky video yes, back yes. to the service and it's so funny cuz that came on Facebook and a day or two before we we watched it ourselves yeah, on we YouTube did. we just found it again we're like oh man this is the best you know we love Teddy O'Connor and then 2 days later someone posted on Facebook and it went viral again could you I know that you have many, many great horses, but can you talk about Theodore O'Connor and how he came into your life and, and what type of great horse
0: sure. he was? Sure. Well, all credits go to Wynn Norman, the breeder of Teddy. She had been breeding that line of ponies for uh, a couple of decades, maybe may 30 years. And she knew the talent of Teddy, uh, and when she, and she did a lot of the training on him in the beginning. Um and then he had a couple of different riders ride him early on. Uh, Christian Trainer brought him up to the uh, intermediate level. And that's when I met Teddy. Um, Kristen had called me and asked me for some help down in Florida. And uh, I had, I didn't know anything about Teddy O'Connor and believe me, he was named Teddy O'Connor at birth. And he was named that because uh, when Norman was a huge tennis fan and she she um, didn't want to call him. She wanted to call him Theodore, right? But she was a fan of um, Connors, what's his the tennis player. Um, so she anyway. So that it became O'Connor instead of just Connor. Well, O'Connor, that's just so weird that I ended up with a, riding a horse that had the same name as oh, yeah. myself. So Kristen came for lesson and she said, I'm having a lot of difficulty with the flying changes. And when this pony came off the truck, I was like, are you kidding me? And, and so, uh, she tried to do the flying changes, but he was so, um, he, he was just nervous about that movement because I think what he really needed to work on more than the flying changes was how to canter properly, uh, and how to sit at the canter and how to, weight of the canner. His his hind end was so strong and so powerful that it was kind of running over his front end. Wow. And um, and he and it really worried him. He was like, ah! so uh, we worked on that a bit and and then um the winter season was finished. Um, and she went back to her base. I went up to Virginia. And then I got a call from when oh, maybe three or four months later, it was probably May, um, and she said I wonder if you would take the ride on Teddy. And I said, sure, I'd well, be happy to. Um, and Kristen was had a relationship. She was moving to Australia where she is now, where she's now married. And um, and so when brought Teddy to our farm in Virginia. And it's kind of a funny story because since uh, Kristen had stopped riding the horse, the horse, Teddy, had just gotten turned out. Well, you know what happens to a pony when you turn it out?
3: Oh. Oh, yeah. It grows...
0: <laughs> It grows a really long mane, and it grows a really furry coat, and it's feral. Right. And, and, and Wynne knew that. She goes, I apologize for, you know, he's just, he's just been turned out, and he's barefoot, right? So, anyway, so <laughs> he comes up the hill. We have a very long driveway in Virginia. Uh, it's almost a mile long, all uphill. And he comes up the hill. He The trailer passes our arena, keeps going, gets to the top, and as, as you all know, Max worked for me forever, uh, mm-hmm. uh, 11 years, and she was a fantastic um, piece of the puzzle of my success. And so she calls me when the horse gets on lower, he gets to so she calls me up and she goes, Karen, what is this?
2: <laughs> <laughs> a Gru's worst nightmare. I mean, it's all shagged <laughs> up.
0: She goes, are, are you, you're kidding, right? You are Kidding me. <laughs> and I I said, uh, I don't know. I, I'll I'll be up there. And in the meantime, I had met Wynn, talked to met her for the first time, talked to her. Lovely, lovely lady, very intelligent, highly educated. Um, this is super cool lady. And so off we went on this journey with this 141 hand pony. Um, and we became really, really good pals. The horse he was such a worrywart about the silliest of things you could never never ice this horse in front you could never put his feet in a bucket of ice no way you could you could never um, you know do certain things with his hind legs you know he was so careful with his body to the point where when he got his first set of shoes on his young horse he wanted them off he kept picking his feet up and looking at them <laughs> Scratching at the nail scratching at the nails on the outside of the wall. I mean like really smart. Like, what are these doing on me? Get them off. Aww. Get them off right now. And it's funny, isn't it? And so off we went. We started with a preliminary horse trial at um, Seneca Valley. And I'm come around this is my first event on the horse. I come around the turn to an open oxer, which I mean, how big can it be at preliminary level? It's just not that big. Make it make the turn. I see a nice deep distance. What does he do? He leaves the stride out, and I get and I get launched. I get he, he jumps me out of the tech, and I land falling off. Oh, no. I was like, "Oh my god, wow, <laughs> <laughs> what just happened?" <laughs> I I saw another whole stride there, buddy. <laughs> and he's like, well, "What? What were you thinking?" You know, we got to run down to the jump fast and go. Like, oh my god, okay. I so then we brought him up the up the levels. Um, I took did a. Fair Hill in the four-star twice. Um, He did Jersey Fresh. And then then it became a question was, um, this is still prior to the FBI qualifications. You went up the levels as you felt ready rather than um, because you were quote-unquote qualified. And so, Ganey Atkinson was the director of uh, Kentucky. He did really well at Fair Hill the autumn before. And... Now everybody's like, what are you going to do now? And I, and even my peers are all like, now what are you going to do? You know, it's like, okay, great. You just did Fair Hill four-star. Well, now you got to look at the five-star. I said, I, I have no idea. I don't know. And so I said to Janie when she was starting the promotion of Kentucky that year, I think it's 2007, no, 2006. Um, she said, Karen, are you going to enter? And I said, Uh, I'm going to enter Janie, but I'm going to see how the spring goes. Well, the spring's going great. I mean, really great. I get to the last event and and you know, the fork and and she's like, Karen, you still going to go? And they were now featuring me as one of the, you know, they featured three or four riders on their website. So now they're featuring me and I was really clear. I was like, okay guys, I got to tell you right up front. I have no idea if I'm going to actually come out of that starting box on Saturday, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to enter. And I'll see how he goes this spring. I'll see how the course goes. And then he was going great. And Now I'm uh, confident, but I am i got this big knot in my stomach at the same time. And he was already becoming the people's pony. I mean, everybody loves him. Everybody loves Teddy. Um, and he, he got that name, the people's pony. Yeah. So now I'm closing in on the Kentucky date. And I had two or three other horses entered in this, I think two other horses. And, um, and Janie said, well, you know, we got it. We're gonna do the draw, and I said, "Yeah, I know. I was, I was. I wanted to talk to you about that that random draw." <laughs> and, and and she says, "Well, what do you mean?" I said, "Well, you know, my first horse, Teddy O'Connor, he'll get the best piece of ground. If it's a wet day, wouldn't it be a shame if he went at the end where he had to jump even six inches out of mud?" Hmm. <laughs> yeah. So. I, you know, I mean, it was just one of those funny conversations where I never asked her. <laughs> he never asked me. I just had a very interesting conversation. <laughs> 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 so that is why he has the penny with the number one on it because I really wasn't going to get any information from other riders by watching. Mm. Um, I had to ride my own course. I really was hoping that he would go early in the day so that he would get the best footing of the day. And especially when you're thinking about 90 degree corners and that kind of thing. And if it's a wet day, that means all the horses are jumping out of the same four foot radius mm-hmm. and that can get really deep. So, um, when I was warming up and he did an okay to dressage, but I was disappointed. But when he was warming up for the cross country, he was just jumping, just jumping great. And there was a calmness about him that um, had been developing over time. You know, it's just like that—a um, quiet calmness that's also a little bit daunting because you're like, he really get—he he really does get this. He this is a this is a serious athlete. He gets that being competitive is not about being aggressive; it's about being right, and it's about technique, and it's about the learned practice of being a top athlete. and this is a top athlete, and it's just an incredible feeling under you. And uh, But at the same time, as I'm going to the start box, I I am really, really, really worried. I love this pony so much, and so did everybody else in the country, that I felt like I had everything to lose and nothing to gain. I'd already been to the Olympics. I'd already done that. I'd already bought the horse of the four-star. I'd already all these things. And what if I made a mistake? What if something happened out there and I hurt this beautiful, beautiful pony. And, and so for me, it was a culmination of all things that had to happen in that day, which was, he was sound, he was on form, he was fit, he was calm and relaxed and I could not make a mistake. And I don't mean that, that in a egotistical way at all. I mean, I could not afford a mistake and it was one of the, Scariest moments in my career, and one of the most um, rewarding moments in my career because um, you know you can make mistakes out there and get away with it. I couldn't afford that with this horse. I couldn't. I couldn't allow that to happen. And um, I don't ever remember that happening before, and I don't ever remember it happening since. Um, And that's why when you know half a million people watched that the video of that cross country round, I. I've never felt anything like it in my life, and it was um, it was so epic to be a part of that, um, to feel what that kind of athlete felt like, um, and how how much he trusted his very small world, which was myself and David and Mac. He trusted the blacksmith, and he trusted Christiana Ober, um, his vet, and he trusted the small group of people around him. Outside of that, he really he was a pretty nervous little horse. So when I when I came out of the head of the lake and there was this massive open oxer and there were so many people there and they were running from fence from rope to rope to see him. And he jumped the living crap out of that open <laughs> oxer. To the point where he jumped so high in the air that it was a drop fence on the other side I slipped all the way to the buckle. Um, uh, or to the knot in my range because he opened up so amazing and kicked his hind end so high. When I landed over that, I was only halfway around. I landed over that jump and I was about 20 seconds down on the clock. I was like, Betty, you're doing this so easy that I can't take this away from you. I've been riding you a little conservative on speed. Let's open it up. And I dropped the reins and I gave him one kick and he shot off like a rocket. <laughs> that hill. Up that hill past the tobacco barn to what is now the Normandy Bank, mm-hmm. and then around to the down to the part of beachy and and he set sail. He was flying, and um, when I came across the finish, it was remarkable because um, it took me a long time to just allow him to pull up. A long time, I mean, like <laughs> several hundred meters because he's going so fast. And then uh, Max comes running up and david comes running up and they are in a bucket of tears both of them i said what's the matter what's happened they're like are you kidding me do you have any idea what you just did it's like did i do okay i was like (laughs) you know it was it was a really touching moment and uh it was amazing it was an amazing amazing horse amazing horse
2: Uh, Um, two things i got chills and I'm almost about to cry. because yeah. I'm a softie. I'm to
1: watch that again <laughs> I'm tonight. A big, I'm a big softie. So <laughs> just
2: hearing you tell that story is just like, ah, uh,
0: oh, my gosh. That's the story. That's, that's the story for my eyes.
1: Oh, uh.
2: Amazing. Well, and it, that's so, that is so cool because, again, now everyone that's listening is going to go back, watch this video again, and we're going to know what was going through your mind. Like you're taking us through your mind and your thought processes. This is happening. And it's just so, I can't wait to go back. and yeah, watch it, Karen, we're watching it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and, and soon, we're hitting end. And then we're turning on YouTube. and we're going back. <laughs> Super. Yeah, You, but, you
1: just, just,
0: just look at, look at his gallop coming up the hill to where, what is now the Normandy bank after the going past that tobacco barn aspect after, after the water and just, look at the gallop he's got. And when you see other horses every year and coming up that hill, you see a lot of tired horses up that hill. Yeah. And, and a lot of horses that are numb and this horse is fresh in the bridle, fresh in the mouth, very rideable, very adjustable and flat out getting it. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I uh, it. it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, man. It was fun. That is awesome. And, and then, the, so and then the next, and then the next day, um, is one of only two horses that jumped the clear show jumping round, So it was, uh. It was remarkable, just crazy, 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 crazy. crazy. Cool, <laughs> wow. cool,
2: pony, pony, pony. pony. <laughs> cool pony for sure. And,
0: and that led him on to the Pan American Games and gold medal there, and team gold. And that was a, a great weekend. That was not a bad day at the office. <laughs> and then that led that led him to the year end awards, horse of the year for USDA um and then he was horse of the year for the USEF and I was equestrian of the year for U- uh, USEF and it was it was a what a ride what a yeah. fun ride wow
2: that was wow. back in 07 07 Rio wow o- 07 yeah i got to see if we could find so. that i don't know if we found that will see, yeah, see if we can find it. so we can we got to fast oh. forward a little bit cuz obviously yeah yeah <laughs> for sure super, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about now i mean obviously you've since All this greatness you've you've retired from the competitive side of things can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing today in your current uh in your current day-to-day in your business
0: absolutely well you know as you know i went to 2012 olympics with mr medicott and um i'll be always be so grateful to the broussards for securing the sale of mr medicott and gave me an opportunity to do you know a fifth olympic games and what a remarkable horse that was also um and I didn't get to ride him very long because he ended. I ended up getting injured, as you know, on Veronica at an, a national horse trial at Morvan Park. And this came, I'd already ridden the course around with Mandiva and was, had a great ride. And then I was just careless. I just came too fast to a bounce at the top of a hill and he jumped too big and ended up getting too close to the second element. And off we went and I landed on my head. And bounced off, bounce off the top of my head twice. And I broke um, five vertebrae between my shoulders. And one of them was a burst, which means that it just fragments into lots of pieces. And, oh. um, and so I was very, very lucky that I'm not in a wheelchair today, but I had great doctors and great um, first responders and all of that. So fast forward from that, that led to a really interesting time that I've had over the last sort of 10 years. Um, that was 2012, so eight years we yeah. are. Um, first to just heal and healing from a major injury like that is as a top athlete is, is as big of a challenge as I've ever had in my life. And like many of us is, have felt by being confined in quarantine, there's a huge loop of depression that can happen if you're not careful and you don't even know it's happening. Um, and that for sure happened to me. And I was probably depressed for maybe two years, maybe maybe a little more. Really, uh, really unmotivated. Really, for being a goal-oriented person my entire life, there were no goals, no goals. There was no, what am I going to do today? Um, And so that that was a very, very, very big challenge for me to come out of that. And as as it turned out, I got very involved in show jumping. Um, through, um, first having Marilyn Miller as a student and then learning from her as a show, as a top show jump rider, ended up getting, because I still wanted to jump and I still could jump, so I'd purchased a horse for myself named Clearwater, uh, which I still own today. Um, and he's been a, you know, four and five star grumpy horse for Marilyn now, because I really you know the jumping is it, me jumping at that level. is not, not even, not an option. Um, but during that time, I got really involved in the, in the show jumping, and uh, that really helped me to come out of the depression, and as well as my account with the Mexican um, Army team. Um, and I've been working for for Mexico for the Army uh, since the next Pan American Games. Um, so it was 2015 uh, Pan American Games in Toronto, where I coached uh for the first time uh an international team with Mexico and and that has been one of the that and getting involved in the show jumping with Marilyn Little has been the two things that really gave me other goals because um looking back into eventing when i was going through this depression um it wasn't that wasn't helping me i hated to watch uh because it was so painful and um I had, I didn't have the motivation for teaching and I didn't, you know, it was just, it was a very difficult time for me going to Mexico was amazing because I went to Mexico and David was also coaching the U S team during this time. So he was very much high performance and, and, uh, I, that had been taken, you know, that had left my life high performance. So, um, Mexico is really cool because my first interaction with the army team was to go down there and they had a big, huge dry erase board in the, in the colonel's office. And he passed me uh, the dry erase marker and he said, I want to build an Olympic team and we are starting at zero. How do we do this? And that was such a cool, such a cool project for me. And still, to this day is, um, they have a a remarkable facility in Mexico City. They have a broodmare station in Chihuahua that has about 2,000 mares, um, the largest cavalry in the world. And of that, they probably have 300 of their horses are high performance horses or high performance related and and uh, well bred they're getting all of their uh, breeding um, breedings from Europe and um, Ireland and whatnot so beautifully bred horses so that's been super cool and then that that whole experience brought it back around to really enjoy eventing again from a different, uh, looking through a different set of glasses, looking through it as a coach and as a teacher and as enjoying taking all of the experience that I just talked about and taking that and being able to watch other people learn from that and for them to learn to talk better to horses and communicate better with horses and ultimately then comparing that in a competition against the level of the competition itself, the course, the dressage test, the show-dumming test, and also the other competitors, and to be able to watch them uh, learn from that, succeed, um, and that's been one of, now, at this stage, is one of my greatest pleasures. Um, And now I have a lot of students in the United States as well, um, and uh, enjoying every minute
2: of it. So... That is amazing. Yeah, it is. Oh, Karen, I, I know. I know you guys. Uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit before the interview that we've met you once, and you were talking about having even young young writers that would come and work for you, and you're you teach them everything from washing their dishes to <laughs> and laundry to etiquette and everything like that. So it's a uh,
0: well, and there yeah for sure. And there's been other other emphasis on um, cross disciplines. You know, we studied oh, uh, David's sort of studied with Leon Harrell and um, a couple of uh, the other horseman, uh, horsemanship guys and barrel racing, not barrel racing, um, and um, cutting horses and, you know, other different sports, and we're the same. And um, the natural horsemanship carries through in everything that we do. Uh, call it what you want, but the ability to, um, to have a horse understand his life to be purposeful uh, while at the same time living in a world where we've changed his species dramatically um, and give them comfort that way. That's really important to us. Um, and there are other things that kind of happened during this whole journey. Um, you know, David talked about getting tapped on the shoulder by our, um, our trainers, our teachers and Jimmy certainly tapped me on the shoulder and said, I uh, put your name forward to be on the board of directors of um, on the board for the U.S. Equestrian Federation. I was like, oh my God, okay. <laughs> and so next thing, I'm on the board of the USCF. Then I'm on uh, the different committees, including ethics and um, drugs and meds and veterinary and um, gosh, I don't know, so many different things that I served on. And then being um, on the board of directors and, and now I'm very privileged to be um on the US Foundation as a trustee. And these 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 things become layers of an industry that um allows us a wonderful life. But it's the it's that it's the giving back and not because you have to but because you want to. Um and you know we're David's organizer of Great Meadows and I'm sit on that board and to be able to do all of those things um has completed the education and we're still learning every single day we learn every day uh, with an open mind and listening to other people's views on on how to how to how to make the sport and the industry better the cross pollination between the different disciplines is huge it's absolutely critical to becoming a horseman not an event rider but a horseman you think about people like Blythe Tate or Mark Todd go back to New Zealand, what do they do? they they become trainers, racehorse trainers and and good ones. Um, and they have such a vast knowledge as 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 is critical to being a complete horseman, to be able to have the knowledge of of all
2: sports. And and also how similar all sports are. They're not different, they're similar. Yeah. yeah. Man, holy smokes karen this is amazing and uh we we want to be respectful of your time so i can i can go on and on so hopefully we have one or two more (laughs) questions but but hopefully someday you come back and join us again because i just feel like we just scratched the surface but um and and we know that we we your your good friend daniela mogel we um we interviewed her and then she told us about how she met you and how you guys became such good friends and, and
1: and how you got her, uh, you set her wedding date, you set her wedding date. That's (laughs) the best. (laughs) Uh, Yeah.
2: And how your mom almost stole Zoli away. (laughs) (laughs)
0: She, uh, you know, Danny, there are three, there were three groups uh, in Mexico. When I first started there, there was um, the army, uh, the army is broken into two sections. One is for the protection of the president and the other army base is for the protection of the people. Um recently, since the new president has been elected in the last eighteen months, he's brought both of those armies together. Uh whereas before they were they were quite separate. So when I went down there to coach I had the army, uh the army base that was for the protection of, of the people. That's who I worked for. There's another army base that's protection of the of the president and all that entails. And then there were the civilians, very few civilians. Danny was among those civilians. And I was able to get, um, to work with her right from when she first brought Cecilia and that journey, um, that took its own form. And in the meantime, uh, Danny and Julie and myself have become very good friends. Um, and, uh, that's, as you know, that's a remarkable Cinderella story right sure there. Absolutely. Sure and, is. and she's, He's a great person. Julie's a wonderful man, and they're trying very hard to make a go of it in North Carolina. It's um, it's difficult times right now for everybody. But when you're first starting your business, I can only imagine that it's quite quite difficult um, for 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 new you know people with a new business.
1: Right. So. Yeah.
2: Wonderful. Mm. Her stories about you guys were fantastic. So, um, but I don't want to go off on that tangent.
1: (laughs) So Karen, as we wind things down, do you have any advice for a young rider trying to make it in the sport?
0: I think, gosh, there's so many things that I could say, but I think the, the most important thing to remember is that every horse, a person is attached. Every horse is owned by a person. And if you're lucky enough to own them all yourself, well, that's a very privileged position to be in. And that's, that's great. And, um, but if you're not, remember that there's a person attached to the horse, um, and your, your, uh, your parents are your first owners and you have, you can learn how to be a, how to treat an owner properly by learning that with your, with your folks. And, um, in order for it to work, you have to you have to have multiple income streams. You have to have multiple ways to be able to get your message out there, uh, and you have to be okay. You ride horses, but you have to be a people person because people own horses, and um, or maybe potentially own horses. Um, and when I had all the different owners, and I cannot thank them enough, Mrs. Mars. We've been riding for her and living on her property for thirty five years um, and she has been incredibly generous to us and I hope that she's gotten some satisfaction out of that uh, and, but it was always about what how can we make how can we fulfill her want to have horses and have high performance horses? How could I fulfill? Um, the Firestones, Joan Goswell, Dick and Vita Thompson, Suzanne Lacey, uh, and it goes, it goes on and on. And how can I make those people, um, what did they want to be able to, to do it for? Did they want to win every time? Okay. That's not practical, but you know, maybe that's the thing. Maybe, maybe they, maybe they want to, um, it, it's a more personal relationship. Maybe they want to call you on Christmas morning. Maybe maybe they want to be anonymous, you know, and there's just a lot of different ways that you can have a, um, a very, very successful relationship with the people, but it starts with the person. It doesn't start with you. It's not about what they can do for you. It's what you can do for them. I think that it's a, it's a good closing message because I see, um, I get to ask the question a lot, how do you get owners? And I never thought about it that way. I thought about how does, how does the owner choose me? Well, I better, better try to figure out what, what makes them tick and what, what would make them happy. Um, and what would give them the greatest pleasure by having me have the privilege of riding their
2: horse. Absolutely. And same for sponsors, you know, how, how do we give back to our sponsors? Cause without the sponsors,
0: for sure. You know. For sure. And I haven't spoken about the sponsors at all, but, um, we had, we had product sponsors. We, we even were lucky enough to have, um, monetary sponsorship through bear and, and, um, oh, I can't remember, you know, different companies that, that wanted to be a part of our story. And, um, it's a, you, it's your journey, but it's also your challenge to, to have other people want to become part of your journey. Um, and it's gotta be fun because it's gotta be fun because you are going to have some very dark moments mm-hmm. in your career and uh that's another whole subject but there are huge disappointments like like how suddenly teddy um got injured and, and those are dark dark moments in your career but you 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 have to be understanding that that is also life it's it is it's the journey of life and the disappointments within anyone's life so um and not and not be cynical i mean when when you lose a horse you, a part of you has to go with them. A part of you does go with them, and you know you're very, very grateful for the time, and and uh, very sad for the loss. So, absolutely, yeah. It's, wow. It is. It becomes all about the whole team around you and what they have done to help you along the way. And there are literally scores and scores and hundreds of people that have helped me along the way. Uh, none, none more than my mom death. And my family.
2: That is wonderful. Yeah.
1: yeah. Great advice.
2: Great advice. uh Karen, is this the greatest interview of all I time? I think so. Karen, don't, <laughs> don't
1: don't tell David that. That's okay. yeah. <laughs> wow. Or or go ahead, tell him.
0: <laughs> well, I didn't I didn't ride across the country when I was eleven years old, though. Uh,
2: that's uh He's got nothing on you. That was amazing. <laughs> that was amazing. So well, was hopefully, amazing. again, we hope that we hope you can join us again because we didn't even get to. I mean, there was so much we didn't get to talk to, especially about. You know, we we wanted to kind of get inside of your uh, your head about some other topics and show jumping and things. So hopefully, someday you can carve out some more time to to be our guest. We part B. Part yes, B. there we go. Karen, I will let you close. This, out you. Th- this is your this is your idol, Karen. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Karen's so nervous. <laughs>
1: Uh, Well, we just want to thank you so much for coming on, and we hope you come back.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, I I I love sharing my experiences, and hopefully, it will you know get some entertainment out of it. And and, uh, I hope everybody enjoyed it. Well, thank you for having me.
1: Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. You can leave us a review on Apple iTunes or visit us at majorleakeventing.com. Cheers.